Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I figured it out, you know, but the, figured it out makes 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 me sound like I'm smart, you know, in that way. No, I, I figured it out. That is, no, just stick to it. Just keep at it. And the the adage of the 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 harder you work, the luckier you get is is what happened honestly and uh and so i ended up you know tripping into reality tv at its it's kind of at its inception because somebody took a chance on me you know and um and and it flourished from there the the poetry thing continued uh just because um i i'll i'll write all of my life you know regardless of of whether i get paid to do it I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Donnie, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is my pleasure to have you here. So uh, as I was saying before we hit record, um, I found out about your work through Cher Hale, who is literally the only publicist that we have never once said no to. She has <laughs> a remarkable track record with us. Uh, anytime my friends ask who should I hire as a book publicist, she's the person that I say they should go to. So uh, absolute pleasure to get in here. Before we get into your work, I want to start asking you, uh, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping the choices that you've made throughout your life and career? My dad was a postal worker for 35 years after the Air Force, and my mom was a nurse's aide. So, uh, you know, working class uh, family in, in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And in terms of how it shaped uh, my upbringing, uh, you know, lots of ways. I mean, some of them uh, in, invisible that I, I couldn't even tell you, I'm sure. But the ones that I, I'm super aware of uh, have to do with uh, work ethic, uh, for one. Uh, my parents worked very hard and encouraged uh, encouraged me uh, to work hard and to to be uh, consistent and reliable. Um, and also, uh, I guess an offshoot of that was uh, the the notion of integrity, uh, and being honorable, and uh, being being true to your word. And uh, and some of that certainly got reflected in the workplace, but they also wanted it to be reflected in how I treated other people, how I kind of showed up in in the world, you know, as a as a, as a young black kid in a world that wasn't necessarily built for a young black kid. So um, those are some of the ways that I think uh, what my parents did for a living and, and how they uh, invested themselves in uh, work and uh, honor and integrity. Um, I, I think those are, those are things that um, informed who I am. Yeah. So, I mean, with your dad as, as a postal worker, I mean, and your mother doing what she did, like, I mean, these seem like very consistent, predictable career paths that 
um, have a very, very linear arc. And of course, just from knowing what I do about you, I know yours hasn't been that. Um, what did they teach you about making your way in the world? Like, what did they teach you about careers? What advice did they give you? Uh, and, uh, you know, when you present a path like this to them, what do they say to it? Well, that's interesting because they, they didn't present uh, a path to me. What they did was nurture me being like uh, a bright, shy kid. And uh, so they, they certainly encouraged uh, reading and they were very supportive of, of my uh, academic success. And there was, because there was no kind of pathway beyond uh, working class life, they, they really couldn't envision what, uh, what I would be. Uh, I, I think part of it was just uh, uh, a great reservoir of hope that it would be something beyond what they were doing. And so it was just a constant uh, diet of, of being boosted up. Uh, so basically, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing that and, uh, you know, keep bringing A's home and uh, why is there a B and you know, I bet you can do better, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> sounds sounds uh, a lot like an Indian family. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I guess what, what is, uh, implied in that is we know you can, uh, as opposed to, uh, something lofty and, and unreachable. Uh, the, the, the unspoken assumption is that we know you can, and only in hindsight do, do, did I realize that that was the thing, uh, that, that level of confidence in, in, in my ability to do things, uh, was kind of a lifeblood and, and, definitely inform my my willingness to take risks and and try things that nobody else in my family had the opportunity to do or the 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 interest in in doing so i think their their support allowed me to be risky in in a in a family where people did take stable jobs because uh risk wasn't wasn't a way to put food on the table yeah well so in addition to that, so, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting that you said was you said, you know, for them, they didn't put a path in front, in front of you because path in front of you because of the fact that they can't couldn't see, you know, sort of beyond the working class life that they had. So as a young boy with, you know, them as your parents, how did you find the vision for what your life could be when that's what they could see? But um, obviously you saw something else. And I, I can't take credit for being, you know, this this uh, amazing visionary. Honestly, uh, you know, part of it is just kind of tumbling through it. But what they what they did do is encourage education. And so, you know, I lived, you know, I basically lived in the hood, you know, in Pittsburgh, in, in a, a neighborhood called Homewood uh, that I cherish to, to this day. Um, but you know, the the schools in Homewood at the time were the public schools were not the best, and so they sent me to Catholic school, which was the equivalent of a of a prep school, even though we were Baptist and you know certainly didn't practice uh, Catholicism. But those were the best schools uh, in the city, basically, in terms of uh, preparing uh, someone for uh, you know a, a life in education. And so, what they were, I think, prescient about was was being able to place me in a in a very educationally uh, rich uh, environment so that whatever seed I had could, uh, could flourish. So I think, I, you know, I thank them, uh, uh, constantly for, for having the, the, uh, foresight to do something like that. And they, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And, and of course, neither did I. And as, you know, as I just kind of, you know, propelled through, through that system, you know, what, what that does is it, it provides options. It provides, 
uh, opportunities for for one to risk, to try new things, to to fail, uh, and to learn from from those failures. And so, being in uh, an academically uh, rich environment allowed me to 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 grow, to to find my best uh, smart self, if you will. And through that, I discovered things that I wouldn't have ordinarily discovered. Nobody in my family before me uh, had graduated from college, for example. And so that was a, a path that that seemed uh, organic, seemed natural based on my, my, uh, my academic success in, in high school. So the, the goal was, okay, I guess you go to college now. <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, didn't know what to major in, didn't know, you know what that was going to mean at the end of it. But uh, in 11th grade, I took a psychology course because I was trying to avoid a hard science class. And that was an elective that I could could take. And up to that point, I thought I was going to write for uh, a living. I uh, started writing when I was eight and, and thought that was going to be, you know, who I was. But I didn't have any idea how to make a living at, at writing, except you know, I had heard yeah. of journalism. That didn't seem to be quite it. But then the psychology class kind of uh, exploded my my thinking about what I could do because uh, it, it, it tapped into what I as a shy bookish kid was already doing which was paying attention to people trying to figure out how they tick and and for me I was writing and you know trying to be creative in my exploration of that but this was a whole discipline that was about trying to understand people and it was a yeah. this eureka moment hey I'm gonna do that <laughs> and so I majored in psychology and 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 off I went, you know, to to undergrad, having no idea what that adventure was going to be, but it was it was the beginning of uh of, of a grand adventure as it turned out. Yeah. So I think that what's fascinating to me is you have the contrast of two environments, right? You mentioned you grew up in the hood, but then you went to what were the best public schools in, or the best schools in Pittsburgh at the time. And I have so many questions about this around race, around community, but let's start with the environment piece because, you know, I wonder um, when you have an environment like the one that you grew up in, uh, you know, and then you go to school in an environment that's completely different, how is it that you managed not to succumb to the environment that you're in at home or in your neighborhood uh, and also, this is a question I asked one of our former guests who had happened to be a white guy who grew up in South Central LA, like in an all black neighborhood. Um, when we look at this stuff, you know, and I was asking him because and I'm very curious for you, because as a black person, your perspective, I think, would be interesting because, you know, he was a white guy giving me his perspective. But, you know, w when I look at neighborhoods like that, like my perception of neighborhoods like that is I probably guarantee you completely inaccurate because my entire perception of it is based on having seen John Singleton movies like mm -hmm. Boys in the Hood. Um, so when you look at how media portrays environments like that, what do you think that we misunderstand? And why is it that we get somebody like you who comes out of a neighborhood like that and accomplishes what you have and transcends the environment? And then on the, on the flip side, you get people like the characters in Boys in the Hood or the people who end up in prison? It's, I think it's easy to cherry pick, you know, the, the high profile things. Um, and yeah. if you have, if you have a, a, a media culture that, you know, if it leads, it leads, et cetera. Um, it's, it's going to pick, it's often going to pick the, the high profile, but low incident uh, events because those are more sensational, sensational. Those are more interesting 
to get people to watch your program. And so what it does miss, uh, it, it does miss the things that are mundane, but beautiful at the same time, uh, loving families and intact uh, households and um, a camaraderie between between uh, you know people of the same uh, cohort. Uh, so that's not interesting for the for the news because the news traffics in exceptions. And so I think one of the things that we have to keep track of is the the the, the media is going to show you the things that differ from the mundane because that's what makes sense for 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 ratings. Um, I, I think we should we should absolutely worry if what the news is doing is showing us just good things. Cause that means that's the exception to the horrible things that are happening yeah. um, uh, in the news. So I think that that's one of the things that the, 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 the narrative about uh, urban life uh, misses because of how we're built to learn things uh, in, in terms of our media culture. Yeah. Now, as far as, you know, sort of transcending the environment, you know, why is it that like, what is it that happens to somebody who doesn't end up in your situation and, and life goes you know, kind of into disarray for them. And, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a novelist from a novelist and writer from, from Pittsburgh, uh, from, from Homewood, in fact, John Edgar Weidman, uh, who, you know, grew up in the same, uh, uh neighborhood that I did and, uh, uh, has a brother and his, you know, he ended up, you know, as a writer, his brother ended up, uh, going to prison for life. Um, and so under the same household and same neighborhood. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's ineffable what, what, what can happen, you know, in a family uh, because of how people are put together and how the environment reacts to how people are put together. Um, so it's, yeah. it, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to say, I mean, again, that's the same household and two different outcomes uh, from siblings uh, who, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like they were 20 years apart and, you know, generationally different. Uh, and so that's a fascinating study, uh, sadly so uh, for me, but it happens all the time. And, and I can certainly name people who grew up in the same neighborhood that I did and, uh, you know, that I don't consider myself smarter than than they were. And their lives didn't turn out, you know, the way mine did. What, one of the things that I had that, uh, you know, that was the, the bedrock uh, for me was, again, my, my parents' commitment to... Um, nurturing, you know, this, this, this shy bookish kid, uh, and, 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 you know, blocking for me and getting stuff out of my way. And so, you know, growing up, uh, bilingual, bicultural in that sense. So, you know, yes, I, I had to negotiate what was true about, about my neighborhood and still, you know, uh, wear, wear a necktie in, in, in school, you know, for 12 years. <laughs> um, yeah. and so that, that level of, uh, agility and, and versatility um, was was a survival tool, and, and it served me well. Didn't know, and, and again, I can't, I, I don't, I don't want to 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 place myself as this person who was so aware of 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 how nimble I was becoming. It, it just happened, you know. I, I grew up and survived it all, uh, and so I can't, I can't take full credit for all the good things that that were, you know, uh, propping me up. But uh, but I, I think I've tried to be, uh, you know, to my other point about how I grew up honorable, you know, to what my parents fed me, you know, so I tried not to, mm -hmm. to waste those things and tried to, you know, take some of the risks that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, we've had, uh, as you might imagine, a lot of conversations about race this year. Uh, and so given where you grew up, I, I couldn't help but ask you about it because, you know, you mentioned uh, that, you know, you grew up in a world that was not really, you know, suited or, or not designed for a young black boy to thrive. So what were race relations like at the time when you're growing up and, and what did your, your parents teach you about race? Yeah, that's, you know, it, it's such a, it's, I'm fascinated uh, by it still as I, as I look back because I grew up in a time when, you know, things were kind of in transition, you know, going from, from, you know, from colored to Negro to black to Afro-American, you know, I mean, that was, that was an interesting trajectory and, and watching that happen as the, the neighborhood was also in transition uh, and becoming more black. Uh, whereas before it was uh, it was pretty diverse, and, and I would say it leaned more toward uh, you know predominantly white. Um, watching that happen, so you know, being someone who grew in his uh, uh, ethnic identity at the same time the neighborhood was growing in its identity uh, was just a fascinating parallel uh, as, as I look back on it. And and so you know what my parents uh, often talked about in those early. Uh, discussions about race. We didn't have the talk that uh, Black parents have to have, I think, with their their children now about the danger of being Black with law enforcement. It was more about being respectful and being um, uh, making making sure that you were a good example of what Black people could be because people's uh, perception was so skewed in, in the opposite direction. The The goal was for me to Make sure that I wasn't uh, feeding into those uh, stereotypes. So be, you know, uh, be polite, be be respectful, uh, you know, be uh, um, uh, honorable and have integrity, et cetera. Uh, because the the prevailing narrative, because people didn't spend a lot of time really interacting with each other, um, was was stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, uh, Isabel Wilkerson wrote this brilliant book called Cast, which I had, mm -hmm. you know, alluded to uh, in, in a previous conversation with uh, Laura Robbins, who's a writer for Huffington Post, who is here. Um, and I had a fascinating conversation with her about this uh, around stereotypes and where they come from. And it, it, stereotypes are fascinating to me because, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, stereotypes in a lot of ways, you know, they get shaped by kind of our experiences. So we make broad generalizations based on individual experiences. So we turn, you know, um, individual experience into universal truth when it comes to stereotypes. And I mean, I, even as an Indian person, you know, I know that there are things that people have uh, as stereotypes about us. But what I wonder about your, your life experience, like, what do you remember as uh, one of your first experiences with racism? Um. And, and I, I appreciate the question because it 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 is uh it is important to kind of kind of map out you know what what's the constellation of 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 racism in, in any any given person's life because it 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 will differ uh, uh from from time to time and and so yeah I, I uh I, I like I like talking about it just because it has been such a journey you know uh so you know one one of the one of the earliest uh, recollections had to do, uh, again with the academic environment that I was in. And I wrote an essay, um, you know, as a part of a, a, a class assignment. And I was, I was like in the second grade and, um, 
and you know they asked us to, to to write some stuff and and I used the word ritual in um in my essay and and the teacher thought I had uh copied it from somewhere she she thought somebody else had done done the work for me because there's no way that I should know that word um uh as a as a second grader and 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 her her countenance uh, about it was and at least my interpretation uh, about it was you little black boy couldn't possibly know that word yet uh and and use it correctly you know in a in a in a sentence and um and so it became this uh, inflamed uh thing where my parents had to come to the school and and basically explain to them uh, look, this is a kid who's been reading, you know, since he was three, he reads the dictionary for fun. Yes. He knows that word. He uses it, <laughs> um, regularly. And in addition to a whole bunch of other words that are certainly beyond what you would expect a second grader to use. And, um, and, and he is, if, if not equal to, uh, perhaps superior to some of the to other kids in this class. And, and we, we kind of insist that you, you recognize that and not, uh, accuse him of, um, of malfeasance. And so, um, and, and at the time there was, there was, there was no discussion. I mean, she didn't say you little black boy, this or, or that, but in the, in the aftermath and the postmortem of it, my, my parents talked about it as, as a racial incident. And I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection at all, honestly. And I was one of maybe two, uh, black kids in the, in the class of, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a dozen. And so that was the first time I had to think about, people's perceptions of me, uh, including this, this element, uh, in a way that wasn't, wasn't positive, that somehow detracted from, from who I was. And so it was, it was a very complicated, uh, moment, but I, I do consider that kind of my, my first recollection of the awareness of race as a, uh, as a negatively valence thing. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Finding Forrester with Sean Connery. Sure. Uh, but the the very that almost exact scene plays out for the the young kid. He ends up writing something because they he's this incredibly talented basketball player, and he goes to some fancy prep school in New York, and he ends up writing something that's so brilliant that the teacher actually questions whether it's his. And then finally, at the end, Sean Connery comes in and reads it, and he says, "You know, I had to come and read this for my friend Jamal because uh, he wasn't allowed to read it, but this is these are his words, not mine." <laughs> you know, and that it just reminds me of that. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've said there, there's been many incidences, uh, you know, that that resemble that one where, uh, you know, the 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 unfortunate compliment of somebody being surprised at how well you did something. Um, and and, be, and, and I, I resent that level of surprise, you know, um, yeah. uh, and, and it went through this. I've been through this in every, uh, you know, iteration of my academic life for sure. And, um, and, in, and in some cases, uh, in, in my personal life where people are talking about how articulate I am and, um, uh, as if that's a surprise, uh, <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, you, Chris Rock has joked about it with, you know, talking about Colin Powell in terms of like, like, what were you expecting? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and well, so, it's like when my parents, you know, somebody tells my parents, oh, it's like your English is so good. It's like, well, we've been here for 25 fucking years. Of course, <laughs> your English is decent. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned this because, you know, I, I my dad is a professor, a college professor. And, and, you know, you're an academic, so you know how the system goes of like tenure and, and then, you know, promotion after promotion. And I've had to literally rewrite rebuttal letters for him because he's been denied promotions that were like completely not factual. I looked at them and he's like, yeah, none of this is true. And I was like, well, then why is this happening? You've been at the mm-hmm. university for 25 years. And it, it was shocking to me that, you know, in an environment like a university, he's, he actually said, he's like, in all honesty, he said it's partially racism. Um, and I, I could not believe that, you know, after this long, I mean, and he's been there for almost 
20, almost 30 years at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I wondered now is, is, you know, having grown up the way you did in the neighborhood that you did around the time that you did, uh, when you look at where we're at now, and, and part of the reason, you know, I, I wanted to talk about this in particular is because as I was reading the poems, I noticed that a lot of your poems uh, centered around specific events, which we'll, we'll talk a bit about. Mm -hmm. um, but when you see where we're at now uh, and you see where you, you know, how you grew up, like, how do you feel? I mean, I mean, hopefully with, with, you know, uh, the election of Biden, you know, we're going to get out of this mess, but it, you know, I did see somebody say, uh, it was a, actually a woman on Trevor. No, I think she was a sociologist of some sort, a black woman. And he was talking to her about some of this and, and, you know, two party systems. She said, you still have to remember 70 million people voted for Trump. And many of them, you know, he, she said, it doesn't change the fact that we live in a divisive society just because we have a new president. It's chilling the number of people who who voted for him, uh, and and the fact that you know we're 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 verging on twenty twenty one, and that's still a thing. Uh, it's stunning, um, and as much as there is to celebrate, you know, there's at least seventy million other things to be fearful uh, of, and even though I'm. You know, I, I you know I've, I've been I've been fortunate and I've worked hard and so I've you know I've managed to get some of the prizes. You know, um, uh, I have doctor in front of my name if I really want to insist on that. Um, you know, I have a couple of uh, Emmy awards, so that's the biggest prize you can get in the in the profession that that I'm in. And you know, and I'm still alive. <laughs> and so, uh, the, but even even though those things are true, nobody uh, pulling me over. Uh, at a stoplight uh, is going to see any of those things. They're just going to see a black dude in a car. And so yeah. I have to go through all of the algebra of what can this turn out to be? Because I don't have time to list my 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 CV for this cop. <laughs> right. and, uh, yeah. and, and I have no idea what all of his uh, history has led to in terms of how he perceives me as you know, uh, a, a 200 pound muscular black guy in a car. Yeah. And so that's a different narrative, especially when you look at the uh, what what can be perceived as a dysmorphia in terms of uh, you know, law enforcement often misperceiving, you know, what a 12 year old looks like in, in, in a, you know, Tamir Rice or, or an, you know, a, a Mike Brown who who looks like a monster or you know, Terrence Crutcher, who was perceived from a helicopter as being dangerous. Like, you know, it, I have to I have to be concerned about what the lens is that I'm being perceived uh, by even in 2020, even after yeah. uh, 70 plus million people vote for the guy that I wanted them to vote for. But then there's and, and again, if, if you look at the, the 70 million people that that represents the people who voted. That doesn't represent the people who are related to them or live next door to them who didn't vote, who still believe the same thing. So it's at yeah. least 70 million people. And so having to negotiate that every day, and I wrote an essay about this, I posted it on the Facebook uh, several years ago called What I Want White People to Know About Me. And so one, yeah. of the, one of the things that I talked about in the essay was you have very little idea of the weight that I carry into a situation. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm privileged uh, in comparison. And so if I have to worry about these things and I have a certain amount of privilege that can protect me, if I, 
if I, you know, insist on people calling me doctor, things change, you know, fairly quickly in, in those situations where it's like, oh, okay, so this, is, this is not quite what I thought it was going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, but not, not everybody has that, that, that weapon, if, if you will, to, to wield in a situation that is uh, electrified by, by, by race. Well, it's funny. I'm sure you've probably seen it. Dave Chappelle, in one of his stand-up comedy bits, tells this story about how uh, he and a friend were were walking around, and they were both stoned. And uh, you know, they walk up to the police officer to. Ask, he's like, "We're gonna ask for a cop for directions," because he talks about how black people are afraid of the police. And he right. was a black man would never talk to a policeman while he's high. That would be a waste of weed. <laughs> Which you know, I remember hearing that. But then, and he tells the story about how his white friend goes to the cop, and he's like. Yeah, he's like, hey, we're kind of stoned, and the officer's like, calm down. He's like, Eighth Street is that way, <laughs> and just lets <laughs> them go. Uh, but the funny thing is, you know, this isn't just an American thing. Like, I, you know, you kind of triggered a, a memory for me that my dad told me about. So my dad was a, a, a PhD student in Australia growing up, and, and at that time in the late seventies, Australia was very open to uh, immigration, and a lot of Indians ended up going there. And he had a, a an, another. Uh, postdoctoral candidate who was in his lab with him, who was a black person. And he told me, he said, when we would go to look at apartments, people wouldn't rent to the guy simply because he was black. Mm -hmm. And my dad finally got to the point where he had to literally call in advance and say, listen, I have a friend who's looking for an apartment. I'm going to bring him there to look at it, but we don't want to waste the gas driving there. Uh, If you're not going to rent to him, he's black. You should know that. But I could know. I mean, and to me, I was like, wow, this actually is not just an American thing, but it's Mm -hmm. a worldwide thing. Um, And that that to me is kind of shocking that it's still there. So uh, I guess this is a really weird question, probably. (laughs) But what do you think are the roots of this? Like, why is it that? Why is racism prevalent, particularly in America? Like, why is it that somebody would be racist against a a black person? do you think media plays a role in creating that? Like what even causes that? What are the roots of this? I mean, the, 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 the broadest, uh, the simplest explanation is that this is the, the legacy of, of slavery. And, and the fact that we started off, we black people in America started off on, you know, unequal footing, you know, being seen as chattel, um, and even post slavery, uh, have have not been able to to kind of shed the 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 history of that and and so part of what happens I I I, I think is is when when you have a you know a whole group of people that were basically you know labor literally slave labor immediately there's a distinction between haves and have-nots we are better white people are. Are, are able to say in that situation, because in, if, you, if you look at it, they are uh, not necessarily, you know, whatever your cosmology is, you know, in the eyes of, of, of a higher power. But in, you know, in, in the practical everyday sense of it, oh, we're, we're better than you. And so even though the law changed about what we say about that, um, there's still the, the stain of that from, from the perceptual sense. But there's also uh, an internalized uh, stain that that happens, and so tribalism, uh, I think, is a, is a consequence of that. Where people, you know, you you stick with who's who's who looks like you and who's comfortable uh, uh, with you, uh, et cetera. And so you don't get a chance to develop a sense of empathy if you don't interact with people. Uh, it, it's harder, let's say, 
Uh, and so empathy is, uh, I think, at the at, at the core. It's it's the it's the soul of how we how we treat another person. If if I know how my behavior affects you, I govern my behavior accordingly. But if I've practiced not thinking about your perception because I'm I'm in this tribe and you're in that tribe, then I don't get a chance to do that. I don't get a chance to practice that that level of empathy. It's much harder to to oppress a person whose feelings you've taken into uh, account. And so I think in answer to your question, the, the, the long answer to your question is is that this this uh, this history of being uh, separate and in some cases uh, equal, but in, in a lot of cases not really. Uh, the whole separate but equal thing just wasn't wasn't really true. Um, yeah. There's just been a lot of practice in not interacting with each other, and uh, and some things have, you know, some things change that when you know when you when you're forced to be together, you know, uh, on a job, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, in some ways, unions help that in terms of uh, the the bigger enemy was uh, the the guys with the money, and so collective bargaining, we were all in this together, and so in some ways that helped. In some ways, even though you know the the military was. Uh, was, uh, you know, segregated, but at some point, you know, when, when people are shooting at you, uh, yeah, we're, we're more like than we're different because they're shooting at us, you know? Uh, and yeah. so there was a certain bonding that, that happened there, but outside of those, you know, very incendiary, uh, conditions, you know, we're, we're not often forced to live with each other and interact with each other. And so that lack of empathy, uh, and internalize, uh, stains on both sides of the racial fence, I think, you know, continue to prevail. Yeah, it's funny because when you were saying all that, I couldn't help but think of the movie Remember the Titans. But, um, you know, you're talking about you know, separate but equal. And it's interesting because in Isabel Wilkerson's book, she says, you know, like they created all these policies. Um, I think either FDR, I don't remember which president it was. She said, but uh, it was for homeownership. And she said, mm -hmm. what people don't actually acknowledge in history is almost all of the policies that were you know, designed to move society forward and, and make life better for Americans actually excluded uh black people and it, i never knew that i you know and you look at it and you're like wait a minute that is that literally is the definition of structural racism yeah and you know you know uh, redlining and and you know uh, and then, then those little subtle things that happen when you when you try to rent an apartment even if it's uh you know legal to do so uh you know those those things become uh you know part of the disease of 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 living you know uh a, a racialized life and it 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 takes a toll and and we're in a we're in a place now where let's just say post uh you know George Floyd where you know there have been a, a number of incidences uh you know for decades you know prior to that but i think the uh the influence of 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 covid and then us being cooped up uh made that a different flashpoint than than uh, Mike Brown or Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin, uh, even though those certainly were flashpoints, but it didn't become as global as George Floyd was. But I think that was uh, under the under the blanket of of COVID uh, as a as an additional frustration that that uh, kind of burst uh, burst that bubble. Um, and so now there's there's you know there's a great deal more discussion about it. There uh, there there are you know. Uh, Diversity trainings and unconscious bias trainings and uh, white fragility as a as a as a bestseller, uh, et cetera. 
but then, you know, you're still looking at that 70 million people uh, who, who voted yeah. for for the other guy uh, who's in office still. And and yeah. so as a, you know, as, as a black person in America, uh, one still has to be, you know, just really sanguine about it. And it's just like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, better, <laughs> for sure. Better, but not great. And and not not as not as good as it should be, you know, on, yeah. on the eve of of twenty twenty one. Yeah. Well, okay. So let, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, uh, what I wonder is how in the world somebody who gets a doctorate in clinical psychology ends up becoming a spoken word poet and an Emmy award winning television producer. <laughs> those things don't seem to those those are not two combos or three combos you'd ever imagine going together. No, it's it. Uh, I'm 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 happy to talk about it because uh, I want people to to use my life as an example of you don't have to have it all figured out and and there are, there are paths that you can make for yourself that that weren't there before and uh, and you, you don't have to feel uh, stuck. You know, my, my favorite thing is when I hear a 25 year old saying, Oh, it's, it's too late for me. I can't make it in the industry. <laughs> I'm like, just, just shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're 25. The world is your oyster. Yeah. And, uh, stop tripping, you know? Um, uh, but, but I, I, I like using, using my life as an example because it is weird. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange combo, you know, the, the unicorn of it all. Um, but the truth is, uh, I, I consider myself a writer more than I consider myself any other thing. You know, I, I alluded to, you know, started, you know, writing poetry when I was when I was eight years old and, and you know, kind of fell in love with what language could do, um, what I could do with language, not just, you know, uh, as a reader, but also as, as someone who could uh, manipulate language and, and uh, kind of break the code of, of what it could do. Um, and so that's really the, the, the foundation of, of, of who I am. It just so happens that you know couldn't figure out how to make a living you know as as a poet that was never even a thing to to consider but it it it, it is the, the the thread that that runs through through my life being able to be a storyteller uh, with words so while I'm you know a professor at at a university and you know uh, running a a mental health center and having a private practice I'm still writing all the time and feeling kind of frustrated that this isn't what I'm doing for a living. And, and at some yeah. point I thought, yeah, I'm, and I'm well-trained, you know, as a, as a shrink and a professor and that's going fine, but it's not, it's not fulfilling. It's not, uh, it's not doing it for me. And, and here's where we circle back to, you know, my parents giving me t the, the, the freedom to try new stuff. And so, uh, you know, having a doctorate is, is a great plan B frankly. And so, it was it was easier to basically say, look, if this doesn't work out, moving to Hollywood and trying to be a writer, if it doesn't work out, you can come back and be a professor or open your private practice back up again. Um, you know, no harm, no foul. And uh, but making the decision to leave still still is the best decision I've ever made. Uh, betting on myself, basically, to to try something different, to try something that wasn't wasn't uh preordained by by how i grew up or how i was educated and so yeah. i you know i moved i moved to la and didn't <laughs> didn't have a job didn't uh didn't know anybody in the business knew one person a guy uh, a good friend of mine from from high school but you know he wasn't like a studio head so that that wasn't really helpful uh in in you know the the creative hookup uh and I, I figured it out, you know, but, but figured it out makes 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 me sound like I'm smart, you know, in that way. No, I, I figured it out. That is, no, just stick to it. Uh, uh, 
just keep at it. And the the adage of the 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 harder you work, the luckier you get is is what happened, honestly. And uh, and so I ended up, you know, tripping into reality TV at its it's kind of at its inception because somebody took a chance on me, you know, and um, and and it flourished from there. The the poetry thing continued uh, just because I'm, I, I'll, I'll write all of my life, you know, regardless of of whether I get paid to do it and uh, yeah. and, and started to perform a little bit more and become comfortable um, uh, just, you know, doing the performance uh, piece of it. And, you know, and so now all of those things are, are still, you know, alive and well. So um, I do want to ask you one question around the mental health piece, because I think that I, I, it seems like um, mental health uh, and race have a very sort of interesting coexistence. Um, and I, I know this through my own personal experience, because you know, the sort of, I, I don't know what it is, is for black people, but I'm curious, particularly as a therapist who, who is black or a psychologist who's black, um, the narrative that I grew up with, particularly around, you know, mental health and getting help for it was that therapy is for crazy people. And if you saw one, God forbid that you talk about it so much so that, um, there was a time, uh, and my sister is a doctor and for some reason she couldn't refill my prescription, uh, for my antidepressants. This is when I was taking them. Uh, and, my mom, and I asked my mom, I was like, well, can you call a friend? I mean, you know, a thousand fucking doctors, like everybody we know. And she actually refused. And I said, why? She said, because I don't want them to know that you're taking antidepressants. Wow. Yeah. And that, you know, so I, so I wonder when you look at mental health, particularly in the context of race, uh, what have you seen? Well, part of it is that same uh, stigma. You know, part of it is that, you know, if, if you're getting mental health treatment, there's there's something broken about you in a way that's shameful uh, as opposed to, you know, getting dialysis, which isn't shameful or, or you know, mending a, you know, a broken ankle. That's, there's no shame in that. But having a broken brain, having broken, you know, biochemistry, uh, that that seems like it's in, in endemic to you as a as a human being. And there's something something corrupt about that. And so that, you know, has has, you know, pervaded the 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 community such that there's i mean it's gotten better you know there there are certainly people who who talk about um uh, uh therapy and and the 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 benefits of it and and there are very prominent people who happen to be black and and, and are supportive but you know the the prevailing narrative is still eh, there's something wrong with you you know and yeah. and it's and it's going to take a while i think uh, uh you know before people realize uh, that you know, it, it is a it is a helpful and um, uh, not uh, shameful thing to do. Uh, but, yeah. you know, that, that's that's a that's a path, you know, that that's not going to be a, a quick fix. And and, you know, the the, the media psychologists who, you know, who kind of traffic in those those kind of quick fixes that uh, that doesn't really help. Um, uh, I think the, the the you know, the the overriding narrative is still no, there's there's something wrong with you and, and how you were raised or how you negotiate the world or, um, or, or, or whatever, but it is, um, it's not, it's still not okay. Um, so we still have a lot of work to do. And, uh, and I think that's, we, we just, you know, we just have to continue to do the work. We, we have to continue to, to tell each other, to, uh, to tell our, uh, to tell our peers, to tell ourselves that, 
we wouldn't have this, we don't have this same level of shame, you know, for a sinus infection, you know? Uh, but when it's your, what your, when it's your brain, your, your feelings, your thoughts, that seems like something that you could fix on your own to some people, you know? And yeah. so, um, uh, and, and with, and with a, a group of people who have had reason to, uh, to be wary of, of science, you know, whether it be, you know, the Tuskegee, uh, experiments or Henrietta Lacks or, or whatever, um, there's, you know, it, it, it's in some ways understandable, but it's also un, unfortunate because, but because there is, there is value in this, in this thing, you know, beyond, beyond the fear of it. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, it's funny because you're, you're a spoken word poet and we, we're spending a lot of time talking about race. And part of the reason for that is because as I was reading your poems, I realized like this plays a huge role in, you know, your art. So I wonder, you know, as an, as an artist, and as a creative, when you think about the choices you make, both from, you know, uh, the, the poems that you choose to compose, but also the projects you choose to get involved from a television standpoint, um, what is it that determines your choices? Um, what, you know, when you're conveying messages, like what is important to you to get across, um, when you make things? Cause like, I, I think about, uh, my work here and I, I think to me, like what I want is to give a home to people who feel like they don't have one, um, particularly as creatives. Like that is because I, I've always felt that even in my own culture, I, I've jokingly said, I was like, the people I feel least comfortable around are Indians, like my own, hmm. because I feel that often this is the place where I'm going to be judged. You know, I was working on this piece about the, <clears throat> you know, woes of being an immigrant in the arts. And as it is, like, you know, it's discouraged. But then, you know, until you become like, you know, Mindy Kaling or Hassan Minaj, people mm -hmm. are like, oh, you're just some schmuck who's wasting your education. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's a burden, uh, uh, sadly. And, and, and I think, um, you know, you know, my, my goal, look, I, I can't pretend that I, I've chosen every project because of some, you know, uh, uh, lofty philosophy. Sometimes I need to keep the lights on, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and that's just the truth of it. Uh, I'm, I'm at a point in my career now where I have, I have more choices and I, and I can, um, I can turn down some things that, that don't seem to fit, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to, to accomplish in the world, uh, as a, as a creative. And, um, and so, um, I have a lot more freedom in, in what I write, uh, of course, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but in, in what I try to align myself with, uh, in, in, in television work is, is, you know, uh, a, a type of storytelling that, that allows people to, to have conversations about what's, what's, what's true in the world, even if that's, uh, not necessarily the, the easiest conversation to, to have. And, and, and so that's, that's been fortunate. I've been able to do that for, for the last several years. And, and it's, and it's what I tell, you know, the people who, who, who help find, you know, gigs for me or, or, or people for me to meet, uh, uh with the hope of uh, having a gig, um, is that this is, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, for things that have, have meaning in, in a way beyond, you know, just kind of following people around who are dating or, uh, or, or in the soap opera of it. And I'm, and I'm not yeah. trying to malign those things. Those, those are entertaining things. And, and Don't worry. I've been, been, I've unfortunately been not just, you know, I wouldn't say a victim of it, but I've been on one of those things. So, oh, okay. <laughs> that's so you, my latest so, claim to fame now. So, so you get it. And, and look, yeah. uh, you know, people, 
people uh, are entertained by it. And in, and in some ways, uh, I, mean, I think there are some shows that that do harm, but but most of them don't. Some I think most of them are uh, innocuous. Uh, but but it's also not necessarily a thing that I want to do, uh, and, and so so I I I, I make very uh, uh, intentional uh, decisions uh, around what I want to work on, and uh, and I'm willing to to you know kind of sacrifice uh, some stability in order to to do that. Um, but as a writer, I have a lot more control. So um, you know the, the book and album uh, Boy, uh, a collection of poems. Um, that uh, both of which are, are out now, those are are called from lots of work, but uh, the 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 fillet of it, it really is around uh, social justice things, not just domestically, but you know globally um, uh, about uh, it, it just how how we how we treat each other and 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 how that isn't always the uh, uh, the the greatest outcome for, for some groups over others. So looking at the othering of, of what human beings can do to each other is, is part of the, the, the soul of, of, of the book and, and the album. Um, and, and that, that was important to me, not because I have the answers, but completely opposite of that because I don't. Uh, and I think if I, if I'm a, a town crier enough about certain things, whether it be, uh, uh, race or, 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 or gender or class, let's say, um, then maybe somebody else is stimulated by how I've talked about it. And maybe they will have an answer or way, or they can be in a conversation with somebody that can, can have an answer, uh, at the very least what I'm after to, to go back to something I mentioned before, what I'm after is increasing empathy. And so if, if I can write something in such a way, whether it be from the point of view of Khalif Browder, who was in jail for, for three years, um, but, but not really convicted of anything, uh, or, you know, a, 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 a trans woman who is, uh, uh, you know, reflecting on all the other trans women who have been murdered in America. Um, if, if I can put those things out there, maybe somebody will think about these issues in a way that they hadn't before. And maybe they can be part of a solution that, that I, I haven't conceived of. Mm, wow. Wow. Um, well, uh, as always, Cher has, has knocked it out of the park and sent us yet another, uh, amazing guest. So, uh, I want to finish with my final question, which I'm, I'm very curious to see how you're going to answer this, but what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think what makes someone unmistakable is when they embrace what is unique about them. Uh, it's easy to figure out how you're part of a tribe, you know, uh, how you want to be part of a tribe. You want to be considered, um, you know, one of the group, um, one of the, the in crowd, the cool kids in the cafeteria, whatever it happens to be. But I think what makes someone unmistakable and being unmistakable is about someone else's perception of you largely. And so I think once you embrace what is unique about you, then it's hard for people to mistake you for, for someone else. Um, and they, they have to, they have to acknowledge whether they like it or not, they have to acknowledge 
your distinction in the world. But it's 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 going to be harder for them to acknowledge your distinction if you don't. Um, I acknowledge my distinction as this bizarre unicorn, you know, doctor, poet, TV producer. It, it's it's weird, but I'm I celebrate that. And I celebrate that not for the narcissism of it, of which there has to be some for sure, but I celebrate that for the beacon it can be for other people to embrace their unicorn, embrace their weird, embrace their unmistakable. Amazing. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us uh, and sharing your insights and wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, uh, the book and everything else that you're up to? Oh, thanks for asking about that. Um, You know, DonnieJacksonPoetry.com is is a place to go. And that that'll lead you to uh, the book. There's there's an album version of the book. Uh, boy poems and you can find that on all the streamers you know spotify and apple music itunes um amazon and so i you know i i I invite people to 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 read the book or listen to the album uh or do both at the same time because that's that's one way of of experiencing the the story so yeah um i'm not i'm not hard to find in that regard uh follow me on on instagram uh not because you'll learn a lot about me particularly, but I, I try to feature other people regularly on on my Instagram. Uh, just Doctor Donnie, uh, Doctor spelled out Doctor Donnie, on Instagram. Um, yeah, so I hope I hope people will uh, will check it out and let me know what they they think, and you know, share it with people that you think are like minded that might get something from it. Amazing! And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.